Hello and welcome to the world famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I am the traffic anchor for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. I am driving advocate Joseph Peters hosting the first ever edition of what I believe we're calling today the Distracted Driving You Crazy podcast. Because you are driving right now. That's correct. Yes. I, is this a first for us? Uh, it might be. I think it might be. I, I have, um, uh, I've had Nicole on the show in the past, and she has been driving. Uh, she's been parked and driving or driving and parking. Um, but yeah, no, she's, because she's usually trying to be somewhat mobile. Gotcha. Yes. And Nicole and I are about equal as far as driving quality goes. So drivers out on the road today, be warned. Yes. Be careful. Be yes, and Nicole and I are about equal as far as driving quality goes. So, drivers out on the road today, be warned. Yes, be careful. Be out there. And if you want to reach the show, you always can. It's easy to do. You can send us an email at gmail.com. Well, not just at gmail. It's you have to, you have to put in the <laughs> driving you crazy podcast first, and then put the at gmail.com, and then you get us. Uh, you could also call the uh, listener line at 303-832-832. 0217. That's the other way to get a hold of the program. Today, I wanted to start with a couple of viewer emails. The first one goes like this. It says, good morning, Jason. I watch this channel every morning. She, she didn't describe which channel. She just said this channel. Well, I, 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 Your channel. Yes, and, and I assume since she used my name, uh, she's watching our channel, Channel 7. She says, I noticed that your plant doesn't like being on top of your television. It looks like it's seen better days. Thank you, Anita. Well, what Anita is referring to, and unfortunately, because this is uh, podcast radio, you can't see what I see or what Anita sees. And what Anita was seeing is I have uh, I have this set. So in a in a couple of days back, about I don't know four months ago, I was uh, I, I was given the task over a weekend to come up with a TV set that could be on TV. And I was thinking it was going to be for a couple of weeks. I didn't think it was going to be for 15 weeks and, and presumably another 15 weeks and maybe 15 weeks after that. So I put together this little desk and, and uh, a, a table that holds a computer monitor that, that, that can, that I can plug into my laptop that then shows the traffic map. I wish it was a little bit bigger. I, I think, uh, and, and if I actually had any money, I would invest in a larger monitor that would uh, maybe show the map a little bit better, uh, or the TV station could actually send me one, but I, I doubt that's going to happen. Uh, but then right behind that, there was this big empty space, and I decided to fill it because if, if, you, if you look at homes that are decorated in the style of uh, HGTV, anything cool and fancy, they always have plants. They, they can be fake plants, and in this case, it's a fake plant. So I put a fake plant. It's actually sitting, this fake plant, it's sitting on a, uh, on this treasure box thing that's on a box that's on a Harry Potter book. Um, so, so it gives it some height. Oh, wow. So it gives it some height so you can see it over the monitor just because of the way, the depth of the TV and, and, and looking at, at the, you can see, so you can see the plant that's over the TV and it just fills that space. I don't have really anything else that that's good enough to fill that space. And so what I did for Anita, cause I, I'm just looking at this thing and it's, it's a fine looking plant. It has some greenery. It looks like a green fern with some, uh, I don't know, uh, brownish 
little sticks that are coming out of it. Yeah, it's it a real plant, right? No, it it's a, a fake. fake plant. It, it's a fake plant. It is as fake as fake plants get. Because I, oh. I would kill it otherwise. I actually have some Smart. live plants upstairs, <laughs> but they only need to be watered like once every two weeks, and they, they like it when you don't water them. They actually grow better when you don't water them, so they're perfect for me. So I can forget all about them and then water them when I remember every two weeks, and boom, it's great. So I told Anita that, it, that that I have this fake plant. Jason, you and I are birds of a feather, man. Yeah, exactly. So I told Anita I have this fake plant, and that um, what I can do for her is that the best I can do, really, is just maybe turn it a quarter turn. And so that's exactly what I did. I, I turned the plant a quarter turn to show a different side, maybe a better side of the plant. And, and, and then I, t I told that to Anita. And then she wrote me back the next day saying she liked the plant better now that I turned it a quarter turn. So there you go, a satisfied customer. All it takes sometimes is a small change in perspective, and it's a whole new ballgame. Yes, and it was a small change in perspective. Just that quarter turn was a big deal for uh, Anita, and I'm, I'm glad that I could help her out in that easy way. Uh, we also got a uh, uh, Sylvia in Amarillo, an, a, an email, who writes, What's driving you crazy? Stupid four-wheelers who think it's funny to cut in front of big rigs going downhill. Just because we have 18 tires doesn't mean we have 18 brakes. Oh, that, yeah, that's true. Now, when Sylvia right. when Sylvia wrote the word brakes, she spelled it like this: B R E A K, like talking about taking a break, like or the break room, not brakes <laughs> as in on your car. B R A K E. There's, there's a difference there. You know, the device that stops your vehicle is spelled B R A K E. And taking a break is B-R-E-A-K, and that's how she spelled it. You'd be shocked how many people don't know that, though. Actually, you probably <laughs> wouldn't be shocked because you read these emails all the time. Yes, and, and, and I thought every job should have actually 18 breaks, where, I mean, you're taking time off 18 yes. times during your work 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 day. Um, it might be as tough as having 18 breaks on a truck. I wonder if 18 breaks on a truck would help you stop better. Anyway, I think 18 breaks on a truck would work much better than 18 breaks in a work day. I mean, <laughs> you and I have been working from home for long enough where, like, I'm taking 18 breaks every day right now. It's not going so well. You know, it's a lot like when I would see the people that uh, smoke in the building. Well, I mean, they would yes. smoke. They would smoke outside the building. You're smokers who would go then take 18 breaks to go take 18 smoke breaks, and they would get. And I, I'm not kidding. They would take at least 10 minutes between the stop of work and then the regaining, uh, starting of another work. So at least 10 minutes. And and so if you're talking 180 minutes, that's like three hours. Yes. Hey, do you know how you can tell if a smoker hates their job? If they measure the amount of cigarettes they smoke in a day by cigarettes or packs of cigarettes. Ah, yes, I see. I, I, I don't know. I haven't really, I haven't ever been a smoker. So I was briefly and I knew people where it was like, how, how much do you smoke in a day? And they'd say three packs. And I'd say Jesus. <laughs> that, that seems like a lot to me. That seems like a lot. But you would also take uh, at least 18 breaks to do that. Yes, sir. Yeah. So, so this is your public service announcement for Sylvia in Amarillo, who, uh, who, 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 who is well, freaked out by the four-wheelers, i.e. everybody else in cars, cutting in front of the big rigs. So give the truckers a break, B-R-E-A-K, and don't cut in front of them because they don't have 18 brakes, B-R-A-K-E-S. So uh, there you go. Uh, anyway, this is all right. So here's an interesting story that crossed the newsroom the other day. 
The Colorado State Patrol is looking for someone who may have taken parts of a dead bear after a crash. So this is what the State Patrol wrote on Twitter. Tonight around 9.30 p.m., there was a crash involving a bear on Highway 285 near Windy Point. We were called a couple hours later and responded to the scene with Parks and Wildlife Rangers. Upon arrival, the parts of the bear were removed. If anyone saw something in the area, possibly a small gold pickup, please report it to us. Well, I thought that was interesting. Just saying that parts of the bear were missing. Like what parts were being harvested? It's uh, it, that, that was just it was it's an interesting concept. Have they shed any light on it? Were well, we able to find out specifically? So I looked at the law. There is a, actually a specific roadkill law in Colorado, and I, I would imagine it's similar in other states. It's actually legal to harvest edible portions of roadkill, but the person needs to get a permit from the Colorado Parks and Wildlife within 48 hours of the roadkill being killed there are more yeah and there are more strict rules for harvesting inedible parts of roadkill let's say like the hide where you can't really eat the fur right you can't eat the antlers but but people would want the antlers on a elk or a moose those are always widely collected um and but the regional wildlife manager with a bear specifically well yeah with a bear specifically Uh, you you have the hide you you can't eat you can't eat the paws well, and you would think if you're a collector, right, or if somebody's being nefarious, and now obviously we're going to get very grim about this, but the head, the paws, the fur, those are all the things that you would take that would have some sort of resale value or some sort of nostalgia. None of those are edible, and certainly none of those they would give out a permit for. And they have value, and that's what exactly. And that's I think what they're trying to stop because you would have to contact the regional wildlife manager. And if it was the opinion of that regional manager that these items have a marketable value because of potential commercial or trophy or other use, like a bighorn sheep, right? The head that's suitable for mounting or the, or the, or the horns from a bighorn sheep, bear hides or their claws, uh, bobcats or, or like a lion hide. The regional manager says they, those, those parts of the animal should be disposed of uh, instead of being collected and then sold and or uh, kept because it has some kind of marketable value. And they say in determining in determining whether wildlife or portions thereof have marketable value, the regional manager considers the cost associated with uh, the, uh, let's say, donating those items to some place or uh, what they have sold for in the past or uh, the quality uh, of the item and the quantity of wildlife that um, are available. Like if you if you get a lynx, obviously that has a lot more value than a mountain lion or a uh, just a regular uh, deer. Yes, exactly. And, and frankly, the roadkill can be such a lifeline for some people if it's used correctly, right? If it's used for the purpose that Colorado Wildlife, whatever department, um, gives out permits for, which is the edible pieces. Yeah. But it's certainly not what it sounds like happened here. And and there's also a provision under the law that allows for someone to hold a scientific collecting permit for specific species. So I Mm -hmm. suppose just to be able to do research on, let's say, a lynx that aren't widely uh, seen in Colorado, but they are here, or maybe wolf. 
um, that are uh, that, that are obviously here but aren't widely seen. And let's say somebody hits one with a uh, with a vehicle, and maybe they could do research with it. So there you go. If you uh, if you run over a squirrel and you want to eat it or mount it, uh, I think you're probably still safe to do so. Or you can take it over to the Roadkill Cafe and have them fix it up for you. There you go. You know, squirrel. You got to get it on a road history. Yeah, well, probably. I did see. I was uh, backpacking one time with a buddy of mine on the Appalachian Trail, and uh, these army guys. Uh, they went out to the woods, uh, shot a couple of squirrels, and then did exactly that. Put it on a rotisserie and uh, cooked them up. They they offered us pieces of the squirrel, and we declined. Um, we were already taken care of with our meal, but uh, yeah, that was. Um, that was interesting. Oh, you know, interestingly, there is uh, th- there there are many restaurants. You know, we were down in Florida a couple weeks ago, and actually, they have these signs in a lot of these restaurants that th- that they will cook fish for you if you catch it and bring it in. They have these signs: "You catch it, we cook it." And so maybe yes. maybe there were there should be uh, restaurants around here that say, uh, "You run it over, we'll uh, prep it and cook it for you." Oh God, Jason! You know there are restaurants <laughs> like that, right? Like, <laughs> and those you catch at your cooking places are a joy to work in. By the way, I waited tables in one of them for a short period of time. The chefs in those kitchens know exactly what to do in every situation. I saw so many fabulous fruit chutneys being paired with fresh fish. Oh, very nice. See, very nice. Yeah, that would be that would be lovely. You catch it, you cook it, you eat it, and it's boom right there. It'd be great. Uh, no matter how many times you've been cut off. On a road trip, anecdotal evidence alone can't prove that drivers from any one state are worse than others, even though you might have your own opinion about what drivers from what state are the worst. The personal finance company called Smart Asset compiled data related to bad driving behaviors to create a list of the 15 states in America with what they say are the worst drivers. Now, they say their ranking is based on four metrics. The number of fatalities per 100 million miles driven in each state. DUI arrests per 1,000 drivers. The percentage of uninsured drivers. And how often residents Google the terms speeding ticket or traffic ticket. Presumably because people are trying to get out of a speeding ticket or traffic ticket. So I will do the top 15 list like they do the top 10 list where you have to start with 15 and work our way down to the state with the worst drivers. Uh, coming up at number 15 is our state, Colorado, number 15. Then, oh, yeah. did they say why us? No, they didn't. I'd say I, it, I just have the list. I have the list and then I have why the top one is the worst. So okay. Colorado's at 15. Uh, number 14 comes in as Arkansas. I, and I would imagine a lot of these have to do with, as they said, DUIRS. Uh, Oregon at number 13, Alabama at 12, Louisiana at 11, Alaska at number 10, which was a little surprising, but I think they have a high rate of DUI drivers in Alaska. Uh, New Mexico, I know they have a high rate of uninsured motorists there. There was a tie at number seven between Texas and South Carolina, but I'll, I'll say Texas is worse than South Carolina. So we'll put South Carolina at eight and then Texas at uh, seven. How about that? Uh, Arizona comes in at number six. California has the fifth worst drivers in the country. And rounding out the top five is Florida. Uh, I could imagine a lot of DUI arrests in Florida. We always hear about Florida stories. In fact, we had a couple last week. Uh, Tennessee at number three. Nevada, duh, 
plenty of DUI arrests, I'm sure, there at number two. And the number one state with the worst drivers, according to the uh, finance company Smart Asset, is Mississippi. <laughs> Congratulations, wow. Mississippi. Mississippi's dead last in another category. Yep. I so. mean, it just the hits just keep on coming for that state. Nevada also, my God, I have never been happier to hear a state coming in at number two because Nevada has been the worst state I've ever driven in personally. Yeah. And, no. and this tracks exactly with that. I have driven in Nevada, and it is, well, at least the parts that you can uh, find other people in. There's a lot of places in Nevada you won't find anybody uh, anywhere. Um, there's a lot of open spaces in Nevada. And those are the best parts. They're be- they're beautiful. They're very lonely if you stay there for too long, but they uh, and they don't at all represent the hustle and bustle that people usually associate with Nevada. Now Mississippi works uh, ranks worst because they had the second highest number of fatalities and the second lowest percentage of insured drivers, and it's the third year in a row Mississippi has that uh, last slot. And is if you decide where you're going on a road trip, it is road trip season. So if you're going in uh, on a road trip. I would say be extra careful in those states, especially in uh, Mississippi, Nevada, Tennessee, Florida, and uh, California. There's supposed to be a lot of people coming to Colorado. Interesting. Florida's a heartbreaker, man. But you figure all those cataracts on the road, they're not bound to be bad drivers. Oh, yeah. Not only that, but also there's plenty of drinking going on in Florida, and I can... uh, Uh, I saw a lot of that when I was down there a couple weeks ago. All right, so we all know the dry. We, we were just talking about DUIs. We know the dangers of drinking alcohol and driving. And we all think that doing drugs while driving is also a pretty bad idea. Well, the Colorado Department of Transportation, they wanted to find out for sure how bad it is to drive under the influence of marijuana. So they did this big study, and they just released some of the key findings from their two-year study aimed at reducing cannabis-involved traffic crashes and fatalities. See, Colorado was one of the first, I think it was uh, one of, if not the first, yeah, to have recreational marijuana. And so we've had problems with uh, people thinking that driving high is okay, and they're really not as bad as driving drunk. We hear that all the time. Mm -hmm. In 2018, so about two years ago, 13.5% of drivers involved in fatal crashes tested positive for cannabis. To confront this challenge, the Department of Transportation here in Colorado launched the Cannabis Conversation, this two-year statewide initiative to engage in meaningful discussions about marijuana-impaired driving and learn more about the public's attitude, beliefs, and behaviors on this topic. And the purpose of this campaign, which just wrapped up in late 2019, was to ultimately help develop these strategies, messages, and solutions that they think would better resonate with consumers of cannabis and hopefully influence their decision-making when it comes to driving under the influence of marijuana. Because like we said, people think that they're not as bad uh, when they're driving high as they would be if they're driving drunk. Absolutely. Well, and the other thing, Jason, and I mean, you and I both know this, it's so much more serious with marijuana than it is with alcohol. The people who are supporting the marijuana industry are not the people who are going out and buying a joint so they can smoke with their friends at a concert one weekend. It's the people who are hardcore every day, and those people are bound to be high behind the wheel. Oh, of course. Of course they are. Now, here are some of the key takeaways. Key takeaway number one, people who consume cannabis more often consider driving under the influence of marijuana to be less dangerous than under the influence of any other substance, whether it was alcohol or other drugs. 
Many pot users have normalized driving high in their minds, but still consider the travel conditions, their alertness, how recently they consume cannabis before they go out driving. So even though they know that driving high can still be a problem if it was snowing like crazy or they were just really baked uh, or whatever, they, they could at least take those factors in consideration before they hit, hit the roads. Key takeaway number two, many cannabis users are highly skeptical, they say, of the laws, policies, and enforcement regarding driving impaired with marijuana and want credible, nuanced information. So they don't trust that there's accurate testing like when you get pulled over for a alcohol DUI, that there's the breathalyzer. And it's pretty standard. It's it's relatively accurate. And they have uh, a blood test that they can also do and find out what your alcohol content is pretty easily. But it's not as easy with marijuana, especially when you get pulled over, how much you have in your system right now, how it's affecting you, and, and that that's not as cut and dry as it is with alcohol. So people expressed a desire for more research on these detection methods and guidelines for self-assessment of impairment, uh, the dosage based on legal limits, how long to wait before you should drive after you've uh, taken in some, whether you've eaten or smoked the marijuana. So that was one of the, that was key takeaway number two. Now key takeaway number three, they say the key to reaching some skeptics is to lead with feelings and follow with facts. Users like safety campaign materials, like PSAs, that have an honest tone, straightforward approach, and feel more like they are being talked to by a friend and not a parent. So, not the Nancy Reagan, uh, don't do drugs, and the, this is your brain on drugs, uh, this, is your <laughs> this is your egg in the pan, uh, is this you? That's so funny. Have you seen the new ads that Colorado is running? No. Oh, they represent that theme to a T. You should check it out. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure it's great. An important takeaway was challenging cannabis uh, consumers to rethink the choices to drive under the influence of not just under cannabis, but under under anything, and how it unnecessarily puts others at risk. And those skeptical about the risks associated with cannabis-impaired driving responded to this campaign and uh, that they invoked feelings counter to their deeply held beliefs that driving after consuming uh, marijuana is really a personal decision and nobody else should tell them what to do but themselves. That sounds very American to me. Oh, my God. I could not agree more. That is the most American (laughs) sentiment. That's so Colorado, too, right? Oh, sure. It's Colorado. It's USA. I mean, definitely. But, you know, when, when Colorado first legalized pot... All the border states were concerned that pot would end up in their state. So Nebraska and Wyoming and Oklahoma and New Mexico, and especially Utah, they were really concerned about how Colorado was going to start spreading all the marijuana through their states using the interstate system to, to deliver drugs to different parts of the country or their states. And I would hear rumors and actual stories that police in the border states like Wyoming and New Mexico or Nebraska were looking for cars with Colorado license plates specifically to then and, and finding any reason they could to pull them over just so they could look for pot, just so they could 
find a reason, whether it was driving one mile an hour over the speed limit, going across the center line by just a hair, you know, any minuscule reason to pull over a car with Colorado license plates because they thought that everybody from the state was delivering and or moving pot. Other people who were also bugged by this decided to look at it more closely. And they found there was enough evidence here of what police were doing to people from Colorado to file a lawsuit against the Kansas Highway Patrol. And according to a federal court ruling, the Kansas Highway Patrol does have a practice of unlawfully targeting motorists based on their out-of-state license plates, including Colorado, looking for marijuana. And among the allegations are statistics showing that drivers with out-of-state plates made up, get this, 93% of all of Kansas Highway Patrol troopers' traffic stops back in 2017. 93%. That is hysterical. And also, if you were in Kansas, wouldn't you do the same thing? Well, of course, or Nebraska or New Mexico. Because they, they, those are, if you're, if you're delivering, especially if you're transporting drugs, not just, let's say a couple of joints, if you're transporting anything over, uh, I would say a couple of ounces, I would imagine that they would try to, uh, put on a trafficking, um, or distribution, uh, penalty there on you. And obviously those fines and, and jail time terms and, and, and the, the troopers would go, Hey, look, we're stopping drugs from getting around the country. Um, well, and they brag about it all the time. I don't know if you get the emails from Nebraska Highway Patrol, but we routinely get, you know, this many people were stopped with drugs on our highways this weekend. And it's like, you know what drugs they were stopped with and you know course. where those drugs were coming from. Now, this case began as a hand scrawled complaint filed by two irate drivers who say they were wrongly pulled over. The complaint says law enforcement used any practice that they could, and, and a practice that they now call the Kansas two-step. They say it's a maneuver used to detain drivers for canine drug searches, and the way the Kansas two-step works is this. A trooper stops a vehicle with out-of-state plates under the pretense of a minor traffic vol- violation of some sort. Then the trooper issues the driver a ticket or a warning for the infraction, then turns ar- around, takes a couple of steps away from the vehicle before turning back and then asking the driver to agree to answer additional questions. You remember when we uh, we actually talked uh, about a story in, I think it was Washington State, about this similar thing, about you can, the troopers or the police can only ask specific questions now regarding uh, the why they were pulled over and if they see anything that was in the car, just to prevent this sort of thing from happening. So the, so the, so people the, go fishing, right? It's a fishing expedition. And that's what the trooper does. He goes back, uh, and he, he goes back to the driver and, and, and asks if the driver would answer a couple extra questions. And when the driver denies transporting anything illegal like drugs, cause the trooper saying, are you transporting drugs or do you have drugs in the car? And they said, no, we, we don't have anything, sir. The trooper then requests consent to search the car. If the driver declines that consent, which they should. To search, the trooper then detains the driver for a canine drug search. And all they have is a suspicion that this something could be in the car because of the license plate from a specific state. Incredible. Isn't that, isn't it? The federal lawsuit was filed by a black man who lives in Wichita, where he works as an engineer in aviation. So he's not just some slack jaw 
uh, auto work guy. I mean, he's he's a he's an engineer in aviation. He's a big deal guy. He he, he lives in Wichita, and he travels on I seventy twice a month to visit his four year old daughter who lives in. Littleton, Colorado, which is just outside of Denver. So he lives in Wichita, where he works as an engineer in aviation. Drives out here to uh, just outside of Denver so he can visit his daughter. And on a return trip, visiting his daughter, this was in February of last year, Josh was driving a rental car that had Missouri license plates, and he was stopped for driving six miles an hour over the posted speed limit. I mean, seriously, six miles an hour over the limit. He was detained for 36 minutes before a drug dog arrived. No drugs were found. Other named, because, and obviously this could be another case of driving while black, which we've heard so much about uh, in the last several weeks, months, um, Mm -hmm. years really, uh, about how dangerous it is and and how scared some uh, people of color are because they are are fearful of getting pulled over because of situations like this. Absolutely. And it, it's sad, really, when you think about it, how many mothers have to send their kids out for errands, you know what I mean, or even just to school in the morning and have to remind them of how to conduct themselves if they happen to be pulled over. Right. It, it shouldn't have to be that way. We all know that. There are a couple other plaintiffs on this lawsuit, two Native American brothers who live in Oklahoma City. Uh, One is employed as an Uber driver and travels I-70 through Kansas several times a year to visit family and friends here in Colorado. Well, the brothers were subject to a drug dog search during a traffic stop for what they were saying they were speeding. Uh, This was in December of 2017. They were released from detention after an hour and a half as troopers didn't find any illegal drugs, only medication for one of them, which they had the prescription for. So again, the troopers were fishing because they were profiling, maybe racially profiling these people, and uh, just pulling them over because of their uh, license plate. Kansas State Patrol has designated I-70 as a drug corridor. An average of more than uh, 10,000 drivers and their passengers drive through Kansas on I-70 each day, according to this complaint, and the state estimates that about 7,800 of them each day are traveling to or coming from Colorado. Fine. The Kansas Highway Patrol says it can't comment on li- this uh, kind of litigation. But it's just plain wrong. I mean, where, where, there's, where there's smoke, there's fire. And in this case, there's fire in the Kansas State Patrol and the troopers who are needlessly pulling people over for these fishing expeditions, trying to find drugs where no drugs were found or racially profiling drivers because they think that uh, there's something up when really there's nothing up. I'd be surprised to hear that uh, this is this is happening in uh, Nebraska. I wouldn't be surprised if it's happening in Nebraska, in Wyoming, in Utah, in New Mexico, in all the other states, especially the states east of here. Well, when you hear something that runs that deep, right, where, where, where it seems like the culture of targeting is that pervasive, uh, that's where the institutional rot you can't get rid of in a year. And you certainly can't get rid of it without serious change at the top. I mean, it's a hatchet job. And so that's going to come from a lawsuit. I really can't see the Kansas governor or anybody in that sort of capacity having the gall or the guts or the wherewithal to say everybody's out and we got to build this thing from the ground up. 
I do support uh, what most troopers do. They, they a lot of troopers they help out. They're you know you, you always say there there's a few bad apples are spoiling the bunch, and there are unfortunately a lot of bad apples in a lot of different departments throughout the entire country, and we're hearing a lot about it now. I also bad apples and also poorly trained apples. Yes, right. I mean that's right. what it comes down to is apples who could have been good, but they've been spoiled by being around other bad apples so much. Yes, no, that, that there is a I, I think there's a culture of that. Um, I know I've been at certain workplaces where everybody will will act a certain way because one person's acting one way and then it starts like a disease where everybody else starts doing it. I, I never did so because I, I don't really fit in that way. I'm not much of a follower. Um, and so I but I would see those that kind of oh, I would kind of I would see that behavior and I'm sure it would ha- be the same thing in uh, in, in any kind of industry. And, and and we don't have time for it here. I'll do we'll bring this up next week. But I want to get your your take next week on a possible scenario because we were talking about reforms with police departments and there's that big call for defunding police departments around the country. So let's say, let's just imagine in two or three years from now, police departments are looking different than they do now. So police departments have been quote unquote defunded where there are fewer officers and maybe more resource officers or other specialty um, personnel as part of a police department that go do different things. I wonder how that would affect policing in this way, whether it's speed patrol, ch- checking for uh, people speeding or uh, reckless driving and, and other driving infractions that we see all the time and how the possibility of defunding a police department would have on overall driving safety in a city or a state. I, I think that that's an interesting conversation to have. Absolutely. So I will save all my smart ass remarks for next week. Perfect. I'll, I'll come up with some ideas because I was just thinking about that this week. And uh, so I'll put some thoughts together and we'll uh, we'll talk about it then. But otherwise, that's about it for this uh, for this episode of the, uh, the the program. Again, if you want to get a hold of us, you can always get a hold of us on the email and on the Twitter. The blog, the uh, the links are always there on the description of the podcast. If you can uh, like, rinse, and repeat, or whatever you do, and give us some reviews, that would that would also help us out a whole ton. We would appreciate it and spread the word that you love the program and that you want to hear more of it and uh, maybe more interviews, that sort of thing. And, and, and I was talking about, uh, I was just going through my email, and there's a ton of interview ideas also I have, so maybe we'll work on that for next week as well. I mean, this is the most fun podcast in America, folks. If you're not on board already, get on board <laughs> and get your friends with you. And leave us that five-star review. Oh, we need it. We need lots of five-star reviews. At, at this point, I'll take a one-star review. Um, I'll take any kind of, <laughs> whatever, give me the worst no, no, review no. you can. If you're going to leave a one-star review, just just take yourself back home. Just oh, man. Are they coming to get you? Out. I hear sirens. Ambulance, thankfully. I just oh, had a heart good. attack. Oh, good. Perfect. All right. Excellent. All right. Well, you get that taken care of, uh, and we'll, <laughs> we'll see you again next week. So thanks for <laughs> listening, and until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. I'm Dangerous Joseph Peters. Perfect. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring. Happy motoring.